Well, good morning. As uh, George mentioned, my name is Dennis. I am one of the elders here, and it's my privilege uh, to come before you this morning and share God's word. After a three-week hiatus, we are back in the book of James. And uh, as uh, George mentioned, uh, three weeks ago, uh, we started uh, chapter 4. We will continue in chapter 4, looking at verses uh, 7 through 12. But before we break those verses apart, allow me to pray, if you will. Loving Father in heaven, we come before the throne of grace at this moment, thanking you for this opportunity to speak your word. I pray, Lord, that I may not be seen, but Christ be seen in me. I pray that you would use this this weak vessel to speak your word. I pray that the word today may fall in good soil so that it can bring forth the fruits in due time. Lord, I just commit this time to you in the name of our Savior. Amen. If we are being honest with ourselves, you and I would probably come to the same conclusion that we are not as close to God as we ought to be. And this morning, our passage in James will remind us that we need to come near to God. And I believe we're not as near or as close to God for many reasons. I mean, one, we're not as near to God because we're caught up in the pursuits of the world. We're not as close to God because of this thing called sin. And sin, what, separates us from God. Think about Adam and Eve when they first sinned. What did they do? When God came to speak with them, they hid themselves. They were already becoming farther away from God because of sin. And sin will separate us from God. So James will remind us in the text we're about to read in a moment that we need to come near to God. And there's a promise when we come near to God that he will come near to us. And this will be really the main theme this morning. So we're going to break down these, uh, these passages, but let's read 7 through 12 together and then we'll move forward. Seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Several weeks ago, I asked Courtney if she and her band would play and and, and sing the hymn, um, I Surrender All, because I think it really sums up Um, the theme of this morning. Now, I'm not George Hornicle, but allow me to read a couple lines of, of this hymn that we just sang, right? All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. 
I will ever love and trust him and his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasure all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. You see, I think the longing of God's heart is for all of us to draw near to God with a fully surrendered heart. You see, I believe one of the great themes throughout the Bible is the passion God has for his people to walk in close proximity to him. I mean, you see it right through the entire word of God. It just flows out of the pages of the Bible that God wants his people to live in close proximity to him. Again, in the Garden of Eden, we're told that Adam and Eve walked with God daily and conversed with him conversationally. And there's like, there's this, this closeness, this, this intimacy, this, this nearness, if you will, with them. And it wasn't by accident. It was by design. It was God's desire and design that our original parents would relate to God on a very personal, intimate level. And the passion of God's heart has always been for people to have a passion, a relationship with him. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You've done foolishly in this, for for now on you will have wars. I think the problem we struggle with is that sometimes we come to the Lord with a partially surrendered heart. A partially surrendered heart. Let me ask you this. When you came here this morning, did you come with the attitude that you will do whatever the word of God tells you to do? Or did you come with the idea that you will, you will judge whether or not what the Bible says is right for you or not? Did you come with the idea that you will, you will let God's word judge your thoughts, your attitudes, your behaviors, your motivations? Or will you judge whether or not God's word is applicable in your life? I think the attitude the Lord is looking to establish in our hearts is that we come surrendered. We come fully surrendered to him. But unfortunately, sometimes our attitude is, eh, let me hear it first, then I'll decide. This morning... Uh, we're going to spend a fair amount of time in verses 7 through 10. And because I think James gives us a roadmap on how we can draw near to God. And James starts 7 out with a bang, doesn't he, right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to, therefore, to God. Right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Let's just start with that. Because this is the beginning of the roadmap, the starting point of the roadmap, if, if you will. And this, and this word submit, what a powerful word. Webster defines uh, the word submit or submission um, as an act of submitting to the authority or control of another. And this is exactly what the biblical word means as well. It means to align ourselves under the authority of God. We must be under the authority of God. And look, I get it. 
Sometimes we may have issues with authority, but anytime the authority issue is not understood, there will be conflict. There will be conflict. You see it in the workplace. Employees arguing with the boss on which way is the right way to do things. We see it in the, the families, right? Children not adhering to uh, the parents' authority. And sadly, sometimes we see it in churches. So why did James start the roadmap with the word submit or submission? It's because it strikes directly at the heart of the problem described in verse 6 that George talked about several weeks ago. Verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Folks, submission is the opposite of human pride. Submitting ourselves to God means that we must be willing to give up everything and anything to follow him. Jesus tells us in Luke 9.23, we all know this verse. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily and follow me. And you know what? Denying ourselves in a me-focused world is difficult. It's hard. I get it. I get it. But with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. All right? Submitting ourselves to God does not mean that we have one foot in the door of following Jesus and the other foot outside the door following our own pursuits or the pursuits of the world. Following Jesus means to be all in. All in with a fully surrendered heart. Now the next stop on the roadmap. Uh, to draw near to God is the second part of verse 7, which is an interesting verse, right? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, I am going to share a George Hornigle-like story with you, all right? Um, and I think it just fits here. You may have heard this, maybe not. There is the story of a couple from Chicago, who decided to go south to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out during one long, icy, cold winter. They both had jobs and had difficulty coordinating their travel schedules, so it was decided the husband would fly to Florida on a Thursday and his wife would follow him the next day. Upon arrival as planned, the husband checked into the hotel. Then he opened his laptop and sent his wife an email back in Chicago. However, he accidentally left off one letter in her email address and sent it without noticing his error. Meanwhile, back in Houston, another woman, a widow who just returned from her husband's funeral. Her husband was a minister of many years who had been called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow checked her email, expecting messages of condolences from family, friends. But upon reading the first message, she fainted and fell to the floor. Her son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, from your husband. Subject, I've arrived. I've just arrived and checked in. Everything is prepared and ready for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> P.S. Sure is hot down here. 
we laugh at this, and that's, that's fine. But unfortunately, many people believe the devil's not real, and that hell does not exist. Folks, Satan is the master of deceit and the enemy of God, and he wants us to think that he doesn't exist because he wants to lead people astray. He is real, he's our great adversary, and we must resist him. But if you're living, truly living your life in submission to the sovereign will of God, then your life will reflect a resistance to anything and everything that is contrary to the will of God. Because resistance is the second stop on the roadmap of drawing near to God. The Greek word translated here uh, as resist means to stand against or oppose. And we can only submit to God in our day-to-day lives if we're, if we're actually engaged in resisting or opposing Satan, who is the enemy of God. And there is no middle ground. Paul writes to the Ephesians that if you and you, who, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, the son of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Folks, becoming the friend of God means you are immediately the enemy of Satan. And if you don't grant him authority over your life, then he'll run from you. He'll flee from you. He'll flee. And he runs to the next person who foolishly gives him authority over their life. And you know, sometimes we tend to think that we're living under our own authority. Can I tell you, that's an illusion as well. We're either living under Satan's authority or God's authority. And James is saying, transfer your allegiance of Satan and everything he's evolved in to God, right? Transfer your allegiance to the true God, and then Satan will flee from you. It's a promise. Now, we get into verse 8, which is really the main theme of the, the passage or the message this morning. It, it's, it's the hero of, of, of this message. Draw near to God, and here is his promise. He will draw near to you. Okay? When James tells us to draw near, we may assume it's like I, I move towards the piano. But that's not really the intent of the passage. The intent is, uh, it means an extreme closeness with the Lord. And isn't that what God really wants from us? He wants us to have that extreme closeness. He wants us to draw near to God, and he wants us to continually draw near to him. And here's his promise. When we do, he draws near to us. And, you know, and as we draw near to God, it's a sign that we really want that, that intimate relationship with God. So as we draw nearer to God, he draws nearer to us, and we experience the power of what it means to have that close, intimate relationship with God. Of course, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't lose our salvation, but we can move far away from God 
right? And, our, and we lose that intimacy. So the question is not, how near is God to us? But rather, how near are we to God? Every married couple, I'm convinced, every married couple understands that proximity is one thing, but intimacy is something entirely different. A couple may be seated on the same couch, but be miles apart. It is possible to be married and live entirely separate lives. And sadly, there are couples who do that. But drawing near to God starts in the heart. Take another couple, for example, and watch them just, just for a moment. Uh, she may be reading. He may be watching television or listening to music. And, 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 and minutes may pass without a word being spoken. But you know they're one. You know they're together. They may be sitting closer or close to each other. They may be a touch or, or a wink. I, you just know that they're together. I mean, he has drawn near to her. She has drawn near to him. And listen, that comes from years of building their relationship in which they were intentional, intentional to cultivate that intimacy. And I love that word, uh, intentional. Because we must have that same intentionality. If we come to God with that same desire to know him, he will draw near to us. And look, you don't need to be a super Christian or a super saint. We all can do this. It's an effort. It's an attitude that I want to draw near to God. Another question. If God feels far removed from you, who moved? Who moved? I can tell you right now, it's never the Lord. It's never the Lord. God promises to always be with, with us. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We are the ones who have moved farther away, leaving God, Jesus, at the door. But only when we turn to God, then we experience the power, the sweetness of his presence. Look at the second part of verse 8. James comes in harder, doesn't he? Right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wow. See, we're kind of commanded to scrub away all the filth and sin in our lives. Right? Because we kind of get our hands dirty when we play in the, the world's sandbox, all right? So we need to cleanse our hands by removing them from the sinful pursuits and moral compromises that we're engaged in every day. And then seeking God's forgiveness, repenting and seeking God's forgiveness, then we need to purify our hearts through the inward renewal of the mind and spirit. I so love the psalmist wrote in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is a great prayer, by the way. And this is the prayer that I've been praying all week. Lord, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Paul, book of Romans, taught believers to give their bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice, right? The kind that God will find acceptable. In other words, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, the way you act, the way you speak. And then you will learn 
what God's will is, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. James is not done. He calls people double-minded. Why? Because they continue to grasp tightly to the world while claiming to love Jesus and to worship him. That's, that's double-mindedness. In Isaiah 29:13, he says, "Because these people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me." That is double-mindedness. This is what James is saying. That it is time for the people to tear down the walls of denial and get real and honest with themselves. In other words, we need to re-examine ourselves. We need to do business with the Lord if we need to do business with the Lord. That he encouraged us to draw near to God in genuine repentance. But James doesn't stop there, does he? Look at the next verse. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wow, how's that for encouragement? Jeez. Let's take a moment and look at these three words that James wants us to see. Wretched, mourn, and weep. What do they mean? Wretched means we're to, we're to feel afflicted and miserable. We all know what mourning is, right? It means we grieve over a death or a personal hope or a relationship which dies. And of course, to weep means uncontainable, loud crying. Folks, this is how James wants us before God when it comes to our sinfulness. Can I say that one more time? This is how James wants us before God when it comes to our sinfulness. We are to feel miserable, afflicted, to grieve over what we have lost, which is what? Which is our closeness and intimacy with God. We're not losing our salvation as a believer, but we're losing that intimacy and that closeness. And then we demonstrate our sadness by confessing and repenting. And oftentimes we do this through weeping and crying. Now, this doesn't sound like the abundant life Christ is offering, does it? Yet, listen, this is the road in which to reach the abundant life that Christ offers. Listen, until we come face to face with the realization that we are wretched sinners in need of God's grace and mercy, then we will continue on in a life in a happily ever after attitude, but never have the power, the peace, the strength, and love which is available. The psalmist in 35 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I love that verse. And that's God's promise to us. When we come to him, we will weep, we will mourn, we will, we will grieve. But God promises this, that when we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. And there's joy. And, and there's, ah, there's so much joy when we're walking hand in hand with the Lord. It's sweet. But again, for this to happen, we must draw near to God so God will draw near to us. James 4.10, that word again, humble. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's face it. We have many options on how we can live our lives. We can exalt ourselves. We can be full of pride and arrogance. We can think we are God and that we are better than everyone else. 
But the goal here should be to humble ourselves, to fall on the ground before the throne of God, proclaiming and confessing that God is God and we are not. One of our former elders used to pray this, and I used to love this. God, you're awesome. We're unawesome. <laughs> love that. You know, it's just humility. It's just humility. Okay? As we practice humility, we're exalting Christ. In return, he says he will exalt us as well. Listen, we can brag on ourselves, and we can brag on Christ, but we can't do both. We just can't do both. Right? So when we decide to bow down before God and exalt Christ, there's just no limit. No limit on what God can and will do in and through us. And that's exciting. But we must humble ourselves. The great boxer, Muhammad Ali, was in his prime. And as he was about to take off on an airplane flight, the flight attendant reminded him to fasten his seatbelt. Well, the champ came back brashly. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Well, the flight attendant quickly came back. Well, Superman don't need no plane either. <laughs> the great champ fastened his seatbelt. If you remember uh, verses uh, 1 through 6 that George touched on several weeks ago, we're told why we argue and quarrel with others so much. Then today, looking at verses 7 through 10, uh, we're told how to combat this urge to quarrel and fight. Basically, James says, humble yourselves before the Lord. We just unpack that. Now, when we get to verse 11, we encounter another reason why, why, why we quarrel with others so much. And I believe that sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we may have a judgmental attitude towards others. Sometimes we can be overly critical and condemning of others. Let's read the last two verses here. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the, the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who's able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? To speak evil against refers to the mindless, thoughtless, carelessness, critical, derogatory, untrue statements directed against others. It often has a, obviously, a malicious intent to it. And this is where we say things to be hateful, spiteful, cruel, hurtful. And the idea is to tear someone down. And, you know, another word for this is slander, right? Now, to criticize and to judge others is to condemn them. Now, James is not referring to constructive criticism, which is, which is healthy, but destructive criticism. And this is bad-mouthing someone, uh, shaming them, um, um, slamming them, cutting them down, and saying things about them that aren't necessarily true. Or passing negative information about someone without talking to them first. As Christians, 
People who are born again. People who are followers of Jesus. People who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. When we draw deeply on him, that same submissive love that caused Jesus to become sin for us should cause us to sacrifice for others. So when we are insulted, when we are made fun of, when we are being put down, let's not retaliate or make threats, but entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Second, 1 Peter 2.23. I'm going to close with this. As believers, I believe it is possible to lead lives that heal instead of wounding. As believers, I believe it's possible to lead lives that forgives instead of criticize. I believe, as Christians, it's possible to lead lives that shows mercy instead of harsh judgment. I believe that. But in order for us to do this, we have to walk with God. We have to draw near to God so he will draw near to you. I talk about this a fair amount because I really love our mission statement to the point that we put it on the back wall here, if you can see it, to live and to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. We can't live and love like Jesus if we're not walking hand in hand with Jesus. I'm sorry, we can't. Not consistently. And if we're not walking, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, how are we going to tell others? I'm, when I, I'm, as I share this, I'm, just, I, I'm talking about the universal church. If we don't tell others, who will? Who will? If we don't walk with the Lord and tell others, who will? Let's pray. Uh, as I get ready to pray, I'd like to call the uh, prayer team to come forward and just uh, stand at the bottom. I also have a couple couples who are going to come forward right now, and we're going to present them as members. Uh, please come as I close the service in prayer. Lord God Almighty, thank you for the time we've spent in this church this morning. We have sung, we have prayed. We've listened to the word. And Lord, I pray that we don't take our services for granted. Because Lord, we know that believers in certain parts of the world can't, can't even meet without being persecuted. So we thank you that we can. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. So Lord, as we close this service, we ask you, Lord, to walk with us everywhere we go. Lord, we ask that you'd finish this message in our hearts. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.